tired, mate. Fucking tired. Fucking tired, and I still don't know why my voice is like this. I'm I'm also fucking tired. It's a very it's a fucking tired kind of day. My voice has been like ninety percent vocal fry for like two weeks, and I I don't know why. It's not sore. I'm not ill. Mine's been a bit like that recently. It's like I've been I've recently been getting to the end of like trying to record video scripts, and then the last third being like, "Where's this vocal fry coming from that shouldn't be here?" Yeah, like. He thinks it sounds quite sultry. It's annoying the hell out of me. I think it sounds quite froggish, <laughs> uh, if you ask me. But yeah, uh, otherwise, uh, pretty tired. Mostly because Sonic the Hedgehog fans don't ever shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, they just don't shut the fuck up. They love to uh, take writing out of context to hide the fact that they're upset that a uh, game they like is getting criticised. No, it's not just me. Mm. Thank you very much, Donkey, for taking some of the heat off old Steph Sterling. But <laughs> another one who, like, they don't want to just ad- admit that they're upset that someone doesn't like the game. Yeah. With me, it's, oh, Steph called them uh, lazy hack fucks, which if you actually read the review, like, it's within context. No, I'm not. I am talking specifically about how the map resembles an asset flip. And... Uh, with Donkey, it's because he showed the user scores, the Metacritic user score for Sonic Frontiers and then a bunch of like critically acclaimed games, um, which I found quite funny. Yeah. Again, rather than admit they're upset that he made fun of the game, it's, oh, Donkey is sending people to review bomb Sonic Frontiers. Just admit, like, like these, these fuckers need to just admit that they're doing what they always do. Like, I don't know why they're suddenly self-conscious about looking like they're doing what they've done for over a decade because this isn't my first time at the rodeo. I've been reviewing video games longer than some of these wankers have been alive and they're behaving exactly how they behaved when I didn't like Sonic Colours. They're behaving exactly how they behaved when I liked Sonic 4. It's exactly the same behaviour that they're trying to justify. Also, I bulk... Uh, at the uh, the sheer nerve of of people giving me like a community giving me a, a lecture on being rude in my reviews, I, I balk <laughs> at, at being tone policed by the same community that also think it's think it's acceptable to misgender someone if you can think of a good pretext to do it. I'll say this. As someone who has been probably more positive than a lot of people about Sonic Fr- Sonic Frontiers. I've still had a lot of people, like, real, real... uh, How how do I even explain what I've had? I've had a lot of people who, when I've said, hey, the plot, at least in the first couple of levels, is kind of nothing and hilariously bad. Oh my god. The people that care about Sonic's story. And here's the thing. I've gotten further into it and, like, yeah, the story does get more interesting. There is a there is a more interesting story further in, but also you shouldn't have to get three fifths of the way into a game before the story gets good, and that doesn't change my criticism that the story is hilariously dissonant in its uh its writing style. It's awkward, and that's I love it. I don't love it for the reasons I meant to, but I I love the writing. <laughs> so anyway, I tweeted that Sonic Forces wasn't bad. Oh no. And and that was interesting because you had like half of them being like, oh, they're just trolling now. Um, which, well, 
<laughs> I do genuinely believe that it isn't bad. And then you had the other ones who thought that I was trying to get back into the good graces <laughs> of the Sonic community. <laughs> With like, this isn't going to do you any favours. This isn't going to make us like you. And I'm like, mate, I know what you silly fuckers think of Sonic Forces. It's been like this for 10 years. More than that, in fact. I have n almost never agreed with the Sonic fan base, who, by the way, are probably the worst fan base in terms of my personal dealings. In terms of like harassment, attacks, uh, um, misrepresentations, full on character assassinations, and sheer self righteous zealotry. My experiences with, with the Sonic fandom uh, for all this time um, has been, uh, in, there's just a lot of enmity there. And we've never seen eye to eye. And rather than just accept that after all this time, it's such a raw wound that they still act as furious now as they did back then. Sonic Colors, they love it. I don't. Sonic 4 and Sonic Forces, they hate it. I don't. And, and I don't know what to, what to tell you. We're not going to see eye to eye. They need to get the fuck over it. Here is what I will say about the Sonic fandom. I, I can, on a detached perspective, appreciate the fact that there is an incredibly passionate fan base that has found a thing that they love and they know the thing they love. And I'm like, cool, I'm happy for you that you have that. That being said, I like, and this is, this is no... Uh, knock on individuals, because I know a lot of lovely people who are very into Sonic, but I feel like painting with broad strokes, that is a community of people who have for many, many years been given bad entry after bad entry in the thing they love, and desperately just want, want that moment where that thing they love is the thing everyone else loves again. And I understand how much it must suck to be in a community of people where it's like, this is the thing I love and everyone everyone tells me every time that every one of them is bad. But that doesn't excuse the externalizing of that towards people who personally don't like those games. And a lot of it seems like people taking it as personal attacks when you don't love the thing they love. I mean, that's you get that with any fan base. Like, yeah, sure. Sonic as a series has a poor track record. Doesn't really explain why they get mad at me when I like games as well. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I don't want to linger too much on on that. I realise I've started the show with that, but this has been my week. Just just being willfully... Like, like you can tell how much the fanbase is eating up the performative outrage. Um, I've seen, like, little essays, like, telling me off for being so vulgar... This isn't professional. You say fuck so many times. I'm like, welcome to how I always write. Like, I'm not going to change that. And I'm not yeah. working for, like, like, as a freelancer or employee of any other publication. Yeah. I write for me in my tone. So, yeah, I don't much give a fuck whether you think my reviews are professional or not. There's just been a, a lot um, and if I sound like I'm defensive, uh, I think you would too if you'd spent the yeah. last week under attack from a community of fucking, well, strange people. Because it takes a strange individual to quote tweet, Sonic Forces wasn't bad, 
with the comment, how's deep is that hole now, that hole you're digging for yourself? And that was one of the uh, more reasonable comments. I'm not going to uh, go for the truly personal insulting ones. I don't know. The, the hypocrisy as well, like performing this outrage over, oh, they insulted someone. I had one straight up say it, that it was okay to misgender, like launch transphobic attacks and attacks on someone's personal appearance because they think I called the, the developers lazy hack fucks. Apparently those are comparable, you know. They're not saying, like, as far as the, the transphobic uh, side of it goes, and, you know, quote unquote, like, not all Sonic fans, but as far as that bit goes, like, it's nothing I haven't heard before, but my God, like, actual gender critical, like, TERFs don't get this mad at me. It's, it's, a, it's a whole new level. But anyway, anyway. Welcome to Podquisition. Hey, we spent the first 10, 12, however many... We spent like the first 10 minutes of Podquisition talking about a video game today. Spent it talking about wankers. I haven't even talked about Sonic Frontiers yet. Like, like yeah. last, last week, Cautious Optimism. Literally the day we recorded it is when my opinion, like, tanked. So... Was that the night you did the stream and you had a very bad time with the boss fight with the ring with the with the rings? It was a very bad time for like I think I streamed two hours that night. It was a bad time before that. It was a bad time during that, and the subsequent days saw me having a bad time after that. The stream was the turning point. Well, I say turning point. I'd already been sort of getting a bit more tired of it. Um, I was trying to remain cautiously optimistic, but. You know, I guess just to talk about Sonic Frontiers now, I think that game is fucking pathetic. As I said in the review, it caused me physical discomfort. Eye strain. On the verge of a migraine. You can't have a boss that makes the camera rotate in circles that spins round and round at a perspective, gazing down at an angle, at three other circles on which things are constantly spawning and despawning and rotating around at all directions, and then put the boss's legs between Sonic and the camera. That is so effing stupid. Look, I'm not going to disagree with the fact that that is, that is bad design. That is possibly the dumbest fight, the dumbest single combat encounter. <sighs> I've ever had in a game. That was unbelievable. Look, I've, I've put the game down, but only because I had a game I had much more interest in sinking a lot of time into this week. Sonic fell through the floor. Like, of course I'm gonna liken it to an asset flip. The maps look like they belong in PUBG. And I back when I used to do like like regular videos playing asset flips, it was a running joke that the character would always like, clip through the floor of the map and fall into the oblivion below it. And that's literally what Sonic did while I was playing Sonic Frontiers. To finish my thought, none of your criticisms are incorrect. You are very correct about everything you say about this game. I'm still enjoying it. And that's fine! And, like, I, I wanna, I wanna, like, say that, like, I think the reason I'm enjoying it still is nothing to do with anything fundamentally different about what we were getting out of the game, I think it is the fact that I have been lucky 
compared to you in terms of the experience I have had technically. I have had a lucky ride of it in terms of lack of falling through floor, lack of bullshit going on with boss fights that I've seen other people having incredibly buggy times with. I've had a rare, not terribly janky time for the last several hours with that game. And I recognize entirely that if I'd had your experience, I would be feeling entirely differently. It is not a game you can rely on for a good experience. Not at all. Like, I, I... It's a fucking mess. It's a mess. And anyone who listened to last week will know that I tried to like it. I really tried. Yeah. I wanted to see the good in it. That, like, maybe that first hour has so much promise. By the time I was on the third map, I'd spent, like, hours in a desert. And then the third map dropped me into a desert. <laughs> yeah. There's some lava, and it's supposed to look, like, ashy, but it's, it's still a desert. It's just the sand is grey instead of brown. He doesn't look like he... Like, I was... I've been playing Sonic Forces, which I'll talk about a little later. But you, I'll say this for that game, despite everyone hating it. At least the environments look like a Sonic game. At least Sonic and his little big-eyed pals look like they belong in the world they're in. You know what the fucking stupidest thing about that is, though? I was on the second island and googled, like, okay, I want to know what the other islands are like. And I saw, like, a thumbnail that was meant to be the third island. And it looked like it was, like, a proper in-the-middle-of-a-volcanic-crater-lava level. And I get there and I'm like, oh, that is not what that is, huh? No. <laughs> no, it's just, it's mostly a desert. Except worse, because there are these two decent... I couldn't find a good place to put this into the review. Um, actually, I might have mentioned it. If you're exploring an open map, that has 2D sections in it that you can't escape from once you go in it. And you have a tendency to go through it more than once because you're just exploring. That's bad. There are these, on that third map, there are these, the camera just is ripped out of your control and looks at Sonic from a side-on perspective. And once you're in it, you can't backtrack. So if you've already done this sequence and got what, whatever was at the end, tough shit, you've got to go through with it again. And that's, at least that bit is when the game is intentionally robbing the camera of my control Rather than like, I'm trying to get somewhere and the camera is pulled away from me to look at a target that I wasn't interested in or didn't even know was there That camera is an actual antagonist It's more of a threat than any one of the in-game enemies Anyway, suffice to say, I don't like it I hate it. I I fucking loathe it. It's embarrassing. That is very, very, very fair. Good on the people who are able to enjoy it in whatever way they do. You know, more power to you. By all means, spend more time playing it than getting mad online. Uh, I think you'd enjoy it even more. But I, I, I to quote Donkey, like, I'm free. I don't have to touch it again. I'm free. <laughs> well, with that out the way, if no one has any objection, I want to get into my video game I want to talk about a lot yep. this week because I've been playing I've been playing a lot of a video game. And by the time this episode goes up, the game will be out in some regions and maybe there'll even be reviews out by then. I've been playing Pokémon Scarlet and Violet. Mhm. Mm a pair of games that I 
I only have one guess. I have one guess as to why this like reviews have been held as long as they have on this game, but I'll I'll get to that in a second. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet are the new like mainline entries in the Pokemon series, and I've come to playing these games. Um, you know, I I'm I'm big Pokemon person. Fucking love every Pokemon. Uh, but I very specifically come to this from the perspective of Pokemon Legends Arceus is my favorite Pokemon game prior to having played Scarlet and Violet. It very specifically scratched what I was looking for out of a Pokemon game. I really enjoyed the the big open environments. I really enjoyed the uh, Pokedex completion checklists that let me autism hyperfocus on doing lists and feeling like I completed things. The flow of it was just exactly what I wanted out of Pokemon. And my big question going into Scarlet and Violet, which are billed as being the first truly open-world Pokemon games, my big question was, how much of the stuff that I like from Legends Arceus is going to transfer over to Scarlet and Violet? And the answer is, uh, an amount of it does, a few things don't, and a few new things are added that I think are positive steps forward. I don't play this game and go, this is unanimously going to replace Legends Arceus as my favourite Pokemon game. It's three steps forward, one step back a little bit with it. So, yeah, to to get this out of the way, this is a proper open world game. It's not like Legends Arceus where you had your sort of five uh, large-ish environments that you had to keep coming back to your hub world to go between. This is one big environment. There is nothing to stop you going anywhere on the map. The game will not bug you about going and doing story. It will not pester you to keep up with plot. You can even fairly easily glitch past the uh, the, the place where the story's meant to start and just go off exploring, and the game just does not give a shit. You can just go wandering, and it's great. That being said, this is a game that does not have level scaling. And as such, while in theory you can go wherever you want, there is the fact that if you go sprinting up to the north of the map, uh, you are going to find very overleveled Pokemon, and if you haven't done any of the gyms before going up there, you may find they don't, don't obey you. There is stuff that sort of funnels you towards, like, not sprinting straight for the end straight away, but you can, and I, I like the fact that I'm allowed to, that I'm allowed to fuck around. A lot of the traversal stuff in Scarlet and Violet feels basically one-to-one -one lifted out of, um, out of Legends Arceus. You've got your rideable Pokemon that you can sprint on the back of, jump, swim, climb, glide. The only thing that's noticeably different is that the gliding mechanic in Legends Arceus you got your height, you started gliding, and you could basically glide as far as you could until you naturally, like, came to the ground quite a long way away. Here, after a while, you will lose vertical height very dramatically. Like, they very clearly don't want you to just fly forever at a set height. And it's not a huge issue, but it's definitely something that, like, I preferred how it was done in, in Arceus. At its core, this is a game about like, hey, you've got you've got your eight gym leaders to go fight. That's a thing. I do really like that the gym leaders all feel a lot more fleshed out as characters uh, outside of their lives as gym leaders. There is a lot more effort put here into personality and building these up as people who have their own lives outside of like the side job they do running Pokemon gyms. A lot of the sort of activities you have to do in order to go fight the gym, are genuinely kind of fun. Um, I, I'm not going to get into, like, spoiler territory too much, but there is one gym leader who got shown off in some early trailers 
uh, that I want to talk in some vague terms about. Mm. There is a gym leader who is a Twitch streamer. Oh yes, I saw people getting pissed off at that for seemingly no reason. Oh no, she's fucking great. So like, here's the deal. She is very transparent and very bad at hiding the fact that she only wants to battle you if you can prove that you will be a, like, you will bring in concurrent viewership numbers to her stream. And, like, she keeps letting slip and then, like, trying to cover it up and go, like, oh, no, no, I need to see that you're passionate enough to be on my stream. And it's this beautiful portrayal of, like, a really, a really weirdly two-faced content creator that's just, like, trying to milk you for views. Mm. And, like, that's a memorable idea for a gym leader. Another vague concept, like, this is the last one I'll say... The normal type gym leader is the blandest fucking man who's ever existed, and his entire storyline is about having a fight with the most nothing bland generic salary man there's ever been. And like, they put some effort in, and I appreciate that. Mm. Kind of more interesting than the the, the typical gym story, I think, is there are two other storylines going on uh, in this that you can go do at any time. There is one about going and fighting these big, uh, big titan Pokemon to go get some magical sandwich ingredients. Genuinely kind of surprised how much I was moved by that storyline. I it got it caught me off guard. There's definitely there's definitely a group of people who are going to get emotionally invested in that particular story. And there's one about like going going around a bunch of like disaffected youths who've made a gang and basically trying to understand what drove them to creating a gang and understand what you can do to help in that situation like both of those stories i like i got really invested in they they were like more of an interesting story than i anticipate out of a pokemon game in terms of stuff that's that's missing uh from from legends arceus i i obviously i miss the uh the the checklist stuff to do in the the pokedex you can't throw your pokeball to catch wild pokemon without battling them anymore uh, there is a new mechanic that sort of replaces it, where you can auto-battle Pokemon for um, for resources. Kind of fills the same same role, not quite as satisfying. Also, if you ever need to aim and throw a Pokeball, there's no aiming reticle! Which makes it really hard to aim at one Pokemon in a group. Like, that is actively just a step backwards from Arceus, and I don't know why that is the way it is. I think that the game does a really good job with feeling like a dense, varied world. I didn't feel like I was just seeing the same Pokemon repeated ad nauseum to fill up uh, fill up this world. It felt like there was enough to make that world feel full, and like every time I went somewhere new there was something new to find. I think the biggest problem for many, and it's not a problem that stopped me enjoying the game, but I know it's going to be a bigger issue for some than it is for me, is the game's performance. <sighs> Scarlet and Violet targets 30 frames a second. It tries to be a 30 FPS game, and it largely hits around there. There are certain situations that make it struggle. There is a lot of, like, even when it's running at 30 FPS, you've got a lot of, like, short draw distance, low quality textures at a distance that will get replaced with higher quality ones as you come in, NPCs in the background looking like a fucking slideshow uh, as they move around. Uh, A lot of compromises like this made to make it a a big world with no loading screens. And they achieve it. But sometimes you'll get scenes like the one I had, where you have a a special kind of Pokemon that's glowing in the rain, on water, 
and the game will just chug down to like 10 frames a second and be like, oh, oh, you are, you really don't like that combination of things, huh? Mm. More than any game I've played on Switch in a while, it feels like a game that is desperately wishes it was on like 10% stronger hardware. Like, if we get a Switch, like a, a, a stronger Switch revision in the next year or so, this would be a game I would expect to get some kind of like upgraded patch because it really feels like the ambition of what they're aiming for is really pushing up against the limits of what this handheld is designed to do. It is not enough for me personally to stop me enjoying the game. I've had a really good time with it. But you can feel the game struggling and going, I'm I'm really trying to be on the Switch. I really appreciate that a lot of the stuff that was introduced in Sword and Shield about being able to make your Pokemon competitively viable later on after the fact uh, persists here. That's good to know. That's always been my thing, because that's... Um, I think I've explained before, like, yeah. that's where my OCD and my ADHD, like, really make Pokemon a, a challenging experience sometimes, where I don't have the concentration needed to study up and do the breeding and work out how to get the max stats. But the OCD part of me constantly tells me that the Pokemon aren't perfect enough. Yeah. So having, like, knowing that I can just have these Pokemon and go through the game as normal, and then if I so choose, I can tweak them in a very user-friendly way, that alleviates so much of that sort of praying thought that goes on in my head when I play a Pokemon game. Yeah, literally from the start of the game, you don't have to wait until the end of the game, you can get, like, you can just pick up off the ground items that will let you change their nature to the one that it's supposed to be, that you can use to lower or raise your your, your stats, that can make your not-perfect stats into perfect ones, give you that nature or that ability they're supposed to have. Uh, that also uh, extends to the new gimmick for this game, terrestrializing, which... Fucking hell. Yeah, it's a fucking nonsense word. Sorry, every time I hear about one of these new fucking gimmicks, I'm just like, fucking hell. Yeah, look, I'm going to try and explain this this gimmick. This is a gimmick that's very clearly aimed for, like, a fucking tournament-level scene, and I'm going to try and make it as simple as I can. When you catch a Pokemon, it's got its its regular types, and it now has something called a terror type as well which will usually be one of its usual types. So, uh what's what's a, what's a what's a good uh pokemon with a couple of types? Mimikyu. Mimikyu is a ghost and it's a fairy type. Uh and let's say it's it's terror type was ghost. When you use this gimmick, you will get stronger ghost attacks and you will only be a ghost type in terms of things hitting you rather than being two types. So, you are weak to fewer things and your damage is increased on that specific type of uh, attack. But your terror type could be one that isn't one of your Pokemon's normal types. Your Pokemon could normally be, like Mimikyu, a ghost fairy. You could find one that has a fire terror type, and if, if, if you did that, it would be able to use fire moves as if it was a fire type, so it would get strong fire moves. It's a lot of customization around being able to, on the fly, change your Pokemon's weaknesses and strengths mid-fight as a once-per-battle mechanic. The way that the game presents it, it doesn't get into any of the depths on that. It's just like, hey, press the button, you'll go all crystally and do more damage. Um, which, honestly, for most people, is probably all they need to know that mechanic for. But my point being, that is a new mechanic that can be changed after the fact. I'd been really worried that 
I'd initially started playing the game catching, like, any time I saw a Pokemon that had a Terra type that wasn't one of its normal types, catching it in case I needed it later, in case that was one of the, like, I'm gonna find out later that's a combination that's competitively viable that I should have kept a hold of. And now I've been told it's just like, yeah, no, there's a there's a town where you can just go and change that. Which is great. Thank you, Pokemon, for making all of these things changeable later. I do really like the pair of games. I have aspects that I'm not sure about right now, and things I'm excited to try out more. Uh, the game has four-player online co-op. While you're doing co-op, you can still do story stuff. You can go as far away from each other as you like. You can just be playing Pokemon together. That's that's cool. I I wanted that with Legends Arceus. I was really annoyed it didn't have co-op, and this has co-op, and it seems to work how I, I want it to. Shiny hunting, I know this doesn't matter to most people, but I like shiny hunting in Legends Arceus, and I know that, I know there's people out there that will complain it was too easy. I liked that if a shiny Pokemon spawned, you heard a little sound and saw a little sparkle to draw your attention to the fact, hey, that Pokemon's over there. This removes the sparkle and the sound. There'll be a different colour on the overworld, but you have to recognise that that's not the colour they normally are without be your attention being drawn to it. I'm not a fan of that. I'm also uh, still trying to puzzle out some of the mechanics around shiny hunting, and it seems like, oh, they've gone completely the opposite direction, and it's going to be a huge time sink, unlike Legends Arceus, and I'm disappointed because I really liked how Legends Arceus did it. It mm -hmm. was really fun. No, I liked it. It was, it was, they were still rare. Yeah. But you didn't have to take time out of your day to get a single one, if you were lucky. Yeah. So... I need to, like, put more time in. It may still function the way that Legends Arcus does in, in one aspect. I haven't put enough time in to know. Mass outbreaks are back, where, like, a bunch of the same Pokemon show up. And it seems like there probably are increased shiny odds in there. I don't know if the increased shiny odds are as much as they were in Legends Arceus. But, like, you can show up to a place and there'll be, like, a hundred of the same Pokemon and... Because there's now an auto-battle mechanic, you can just spam through them until you find a shiny one, and I do like that the auto-battle won't attack a shiny Pokemon. Your Pokemon will, like, shake its head no and refuse. Which means that when you go to mass outbreaks, you can just quickly set your Pokemon running around, knocking everything out, and not have to worry you're going to accidentally knock out a shiny one. Yeah, I want to put more time into that, but where I'm settling at right now is... I really like this as a direction for the mainline Pokemon games. I think this is undoubtedly a really big step forward when comparing it to, say, Sword and Shield. And I think that in many ways it does do things that I wanted from Legends Arceus that it, it didn't do. But I can't help thinking about just... It's just the Pokedex tick boxes. That's what I miss. Yeah. Bring back the Pokedex tick boxes. Good game otherwise. I'm hoping I can adjust. I'm someone who... I like quality of life design in games. Yeah. I don't like feeling like my time's being wasted when it doesn't have to be. So I'm hoping that I can adjust from all of the mod cons that came with Arceus. Sorry, I forgot to talk about some of the mod cons that have carried over. Sorry, I'm, I'm on a million trails of thought here. You know how in Legends Arceus you, do, you, can, you don't have to be interrupted when your Pokemon's ready to learn a new move or you've caught one and it asks if you want a nickname. You can be like, nah, just I'll do that in the menus later. Yeah. You can do all that. That's good. Uh, I don't think it's on by default, but if you go in the options, you can set it to uh, skip asking if you want to send it to the box, skip asking about learning moves, skip asking about nicknames, and just 
get all that out of the way so you can just get in and get playing. It does feel like it still has that fast, like, if you jump into a battle, do the battle jump out, still feels good and pacey. Like, it doesn't feel as slow and meandering as old Pokemon games. And, like, you're not going to have to go back to Pokemon not feeling fast. Like, the only thing that really slow, really is going to slow you down is first, first time you catch a new species, there's a little animation of putting a book on a shelf in the Pokedex. Other than that, most of it you can... If you don't want story, you can set the st- all, all cutscenes to skip and just go, nah, don't worry about that, let me play. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there's a decent amount of that. I also appreciate that falling off tall cliffs doesn't make you lose all your items anymore. You can just press a button and go back to the top of the clip you f- cliff you fell off. Okay. This is a nice quality of life stuff. Yeah. I hope you end up enjoying it, because it'd be nice to play some co-op. I hope so too. You know, I usually find a baseline enjoyment in them. I just, you know, after so many years of it, I have, well, you, um, I talked about some of it with uh, the Diamond and uh, Pearl remakes that came out yeah. last year. Like, I'm sort of over the annoying little time-wasty elements of the Pokemon series yeah. that Arceus almost entirely got rid of. Uh, the idea of mod cons carrying over is good. I'm not surprised that they've taken some steps back, um, but hopefully I'm surprised uh, by how few they took back. I'm not surprised they took some back. I am disappointed, but I'm not surprised. But like, at its core, this does feel like they tried to make a mainline series Pokemon in Legends Arceus. It is, it is trying to meet the middle between those two a little bit, and... I honestly thought more stuff would get left on the chopping room floor. I am I am pleased that as much as did carry over. Oh, cool. Hey, Conrad, what have you, what you, you played this week? Oh, well, y- you may find this difficult to imagine, but I have been playing Fallout 4. <gasps> oh, oh, I know. I'm colour me know. surprised. Ooh. Yeah, but I actually do have something to, to talk about this <laughs> week, um, because... Fallout 4 gets a lot of shit for not being particularly well-written, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And in general, I agree with that sentiment, but I don't particularly care. It doesn't really matter to me. But every once in a while, you come across something and you're like, this is just shit. Like, really annoying shit. And so I... I wandered into Vault 95. Mm. Vault 95 is the rehab vault. Mm-hmm. It is a, a vault that was created as a rehabilitation facility for people addicted to chems. And Fallout has a nuanced history with regards to drug use in the game. They've always been a part of it. It's always been available. It's relatively neutral on them. There are certainly characters who are addicted that people have negative thoughts about and associations about. It's not like there's no stigma associated with chem addiction, but it's not the way our present day culture necessarily views drug use. Yeah. So, the Vault 95 experiment is that whenever the vault gets sealed off, they're to operate under the strictures of this rehab program and so on and so forth 
for a period of five years, at which point one of the residents, who is secretly a vault tech agent, is going to open up a cache of chems that has been hidden in the vault to see what happens, to see if the, you know... Yeah, to see if they fall fall back. Addiction's been broken, to see if they fall back, right. Yeah. And what happens is it immediately devolves into violent bloodshed, killing nearly everybody in the vault. Yep. It is just so fucking lazy and a little incomprehensible on the basis of that's, I just, I can't see that being the immediate outcome of the availability of the drugs. Because if I'm honest, I think the people who get high, who decide to get high are going to be occupied for a while, right? Yeah. Like, even, even, I mean, it's the immediacy of, of the decline. I'm not saying it wouldn't decline. I'm not saying that, you know, oh, well, rehab programs are guaranteed to secure, you know, a bright future for people who are addicted. It's a struggle. It's complicated. But the idea that it would immediately just go violent plays into such a dangerous stereotype that exists in our present day culture about addiction that I find really upsetting, especially when they had an opportunity to really tell a story. Like, they could have developed out some of these characters as they do with other vaults and have perhaps an opportunity at trying to succeed and then having it fail for one reason or another that still relates to the failure of the project to effectively rehabilitate some or all of the residents. But instead, there's a, well, no, now the drugs are available, everyone's going to kill each other. And it makes me sad. It just makes me so fucking sad. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all I had to say about Fallout 4. <laughs> Fallout 4's writing truly does suck. So lazy. Oh, be careful saying that. Oh, I, yeah, you're right. I, well, I'm not calling them hacks. That's true. Though they are. <laughs> <sighs> What about Steph? Steph, you, oh, played, yeah. you played other things. Yeah. I really thought I'd have a review up for God of War Ragnarok mm. by now. The plan was by Wednesday. It's a big game. It doesn't stop. I, I'm still, I love it. That's the thing. Like, it's not worn out. It's welcome. Yeah. There's just so much. When, when you think, like, this has to be, this has to be getting there, there just is more of it. Yeah. And it's great. You just keep giving me more. <laughs> yeah, it's it 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 is really good. Like, I'm pretty damn far into it now. I've spent like like whole work days going through it. I don't know how far I am, but story wise, as it's progressed, I've liked it more and more and more. Uh, I think the performances are excellent. Very regularly, I think back on the original God of War games and just what a step up. In terms of characterization, writing, performances, idiots. It's got to be one of the most creatively successful tonal shifts in a game series. It has to be. Right. Uh, it's certainly right up there. Gameplay wise, it's, I mean, it's foundationally the same as the, uh, the Last God of War, which means it's really good. I am really kind of engrossed by the, the 
The skill tree, which looks really simple at first, but really opens up the combat options. I'm actually, I think of Devil May Cry when I play this game, when combat is really hectic and you are like firing off all these moves that you can sort of, if you time it well, chain into each other. It reminds me of Devil May Cry in terms of the spectacle, but where the weapons are more acrobatic than the, protag uh, the protagonist. Because um, you're not flipping around doing all these cool stunts, but your weapons are. And I find that really interesting. And yeah, yeah, it, I'm just engrossed by it. I will say there are some pacing issues. There are times where it goes too slow for too long, or you have like a puzzle-heavy section, then a tiny bit of combat, then a long bit of like, let's suddenly stop the game to go and collect seeds or do some some little slice of life thing, which I don't have a problem with it in theory, mm. but I think some of the placement of, of it sort of makes the tone a little spotty at times. There have been moments where it's dragged, but it does always find a way to reel my attention back in. So overall, very good. Uh, I will say um, I do find some of the sudden moments where like a boss turns up or there's just one particular fight where it's just like, where did this sudden spike come from in, in speed and the, the, the amount of damage being done? Like, what the fuck just happened? Like, it really blindsides me. That is correct, but there's also the opposite of that where it will, it will act as if it's going to throw a thing at you out of nowhere and then completely anti-climax. Yeah. There's one early moment where it's like, oh, oh, this is definitely a boss fight. Oh no, okay, we killed it in a cutscene. Okay, yeah, the 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 pacing kind of applies also to combat. Yeah, where it's like you find it really easy for a while, then it gets really fucking hard, and there are just these strange spikes. Which, yeah, I wouldn't mind some forewarning sometimes. Yeah, a lot of the really worst ones are relegated to like optional fights. Mm. But even then, like, sometimes they can be quite a ways out the way. And if you don't have, like, full health or anything, you might as well take the L and reload the checkpoint with full health. Um, which is not a position really you want to be in, ideally. But yeah, other than that, like, like yeah, that, that, that's only the, that's the major issue I have with combat. Otherwise, it's fantastic. It's just those moments where it's like, after so long of the game sort of settling into a rhythm, it's suddenly completely upended by a level of speed and hard hitting that you just weren't ready for. Not just in terms of resources, like you just weren't mentally prepared because it comes out of nowhere. But otherwise, fucking rock solid. It's, it's a fucking good game. I'm loving it and I don't want it to be over personally. Professionally, I need to. <laughs> I got like 30 minutes of Pentiment done because Conrad messaged me and told me it was out. And I hadn't been mega interested in it, but it, as someone who played uh, Procession to Cal uh, Calvary, uh, I was interested in the style. I played like, I, ca I can't talk much about that. I don't know if Conrad, did you get any time with it? No, I hadn't started it. So that would be something to talk about next week, I guess. But yeah, personally, loving how much there is professionally. God, I need it to end. Yeah, I, I I was in a similar position of I want to do every bit of side content because it all feels so uh, lovingly made and like it's just as important as the main plot. 
but also I needed to get this game finished in time to start playing a bunch of Pokemon, and uh, there was there was a deadline. I couldn't keep playing it past a certain point, and there was a lot of video game. Yeah. 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 Any any else of us played anything else this week? I, mean, I can't remember if I've played anything else this week. Oh, I played one other thing. Yeah, what, what'd you play? I played Ghost Song. Oh, yeah. This is a Metroidvania type thing. You're on an alien world. Uh, you are some sort of mysterious entity that wakes up on it. Um, it's not clear if you are an android or biological or some kind of synthesis of the two. It, it seems to be a discovery process I'm undergoing. It's got great atmosphere. Like, really good atmosphere. The audio is squelchy. Ooh. Like, it's chittery and just gets under your skin. The visuals, if this were not on Game Pass, and I had seen it in a trailer, I probably would have bounced off of it. Hmm. And that's not to say that it isn't good, but the characters, there's a certain visual style that I associate with Xbox Live indie games. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The sort of hand-drawn-ish, sketchy, uh, marionette-moving characters. It, it's just an, an animation and visual combination that it's not that it can't be done well, and I think it is done pretty well in Ghost Song. I, I don't want to say it looks bad, because it it doesn't, but... I look at it and I immediately have a reaction to it as, ooh, I'm, that's, I don't know if I want to have that in my life. Um, and I, I'm, I'm glad it was on Game Pass and, and I gave it a try because it is a very interesting uh, Metroidvania. You have a, a, a full control standstill shooting position for your arm cannon, um, but you also can do tilt on run. Uh, it's good jump physics that feels really good. And it, like a, a number of other Metroidvanias have in recent years that I've played, it's taking a little bit less traditional approach to the power-up distribution. Instead of getting a high jump early, I've gotten the air dash pretty much right away. And that's interesting. Uh, the level design does a decent job of looping back on itself so you you're not wasting time necessarily backtracking but you are going to pass through areas fairly often the enemies are a little spongy in terms of damage but this is in part a, f a function of the combat mechanics you have three weapons at your disposal at any given time Early on, you'll only have two of them, a ranged weapon arm cannon and a, uh, a, a melee swing. Mm -hmm. And the arm cannon overheats. Mm. So you have a limited amount of use for it in terms of, of rounds. And, and so its fire rate and general power diminishes over time as part of that too. But... Because the arm cannon is overheating, meaning it's getting hot, it lends more damage to your melee strike. 
The melee strike is like a stamina thing in a Dark Souls type game where you do have limited use of that. It's beefy. It's a little slow, but it packs a wallop. But you, you'll only get maybe six swings in before you're out of stamina. So there's a cool balancing going on. And then later you will get the equivalent of missiles. But even that, that is, it's not just missiles. It's a slot for a variety of other weapons that come up. I've uh, gotten, and they seem to be, there seems to be taking a, a bit of a Mega Man approach to how these weapons come about. They are based on enemy types to some extent, some of them. And I killed a mini boss, it's a bunch of slimes, and now I have a sub-weapon that I can equip that fires little slimes. I like that. It's a cool idea. Um, all of this is balanced by a limited amount of power that needs to be allocated to the use of these modifications. So you can only have so many weapons, and they need to be balanced against navigation ones that are in your suit as well. And it's not complicated. You level up at shrines and and that increases uh, your availability of options as well as your damage and, and other stats. These shrines function as fast travel also. I, I, I'm not far enough in to make a judgment on this. I've heard that there could be a couple more of these in the game. That'd be pretty welcome. I, I can see that um, just based on what I've traveled, but uh, it, it's not bad. A lot of save points. In the game, which is nice because it does do the souls like when you die, you drop your resources and have to go retrieve them mechanic. On the whole, I really do like this game. It is a very solid Metroidvania. It has a story that it's telling. It has some good writing. Voice acting is hit or miss, but it's very, very limited too. Interestingly enough... The voice acting seems to be used as an indication of when you need to stop, when it makes sense to stop talking to a character. And that is an odd thing about dialogue in this game, is that there are characters that you're going to meet, and in order to progress, you, you need to finish having the conversation with them. But it still breaks up that conversation into multiple segments, forcing you to go and talk to them again when they could have just put them into one straight line of dialogue, which might have been a little bit long, and hey, maybe you get an editor to fix that. I don't know. Weird, weird approach that I do not like. Uh, but at least you know when to stop because you're hearing some voice acting that may or may not be good. Other than those quibbles, uh, I do really like it. Uh, the enemies are threatening, and the variety is great. And they, uh, over time get more complex. Like, there will be these guys that sort of walk around, and then there will be mutated ones that have, like, a big pulsating growth on their upper portion. And then that thing, when you kill them, may or may not drop to the ground and start crawling at you. And you, you will find those as independent enemies just out in the wild. And then those may or may not explode into a small shower of uh, chasing flying enemies. Uh, so you never really are entirely sure what you're going to be contending with at any given time. And that keeps the threat level 
uh, really fresh. And I, as I've been led to understand it, it only continues in that vein and gets uh, a little more creepier and, and unsettling as it goes along. So I'm having a lot of fun with it and I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting further in. I, I feel like I'm maybe 10%, maybe 20% of the way through. It's good. You should check it out. Ghost Song. It's on Game Pass, so if you have Game Pass, there's no excuse. I haven't had time to play it. I keep getting interrupted, so I don't want to say that like I played it for 30 seconds and it looked shit. I ha- but I've heard people say that, too. I have, I have heard people who have had that reaction to it. It was like like the first fight, like it's just something about it just felt so nothing. Go the other direction. Yeah, okay. Just go the other direction. You're not ready to deal with that yet. It wasn't just that. The combat felt like nothing. Mm-hmm. Like just banal. Um, I will go in the other direction, though. I just need time. Like I said, I don't want to like completely slag it off because I literally have gone left and saw that fight and like gave it a go before I had to stop and move on to other things. So I'm going back to it. And it was pretty evident to me right away that it was one of those scenarios where they were presenting me with an enemy that was just so far out of my league at that point. Yeah. See, I had a feeling, but then I was doing so well at it. I was like, maybe I'm in with a shot here. Well, the other thing is if you go the other direction, it tutorializes you on all of the mechanics. Okay. But the, yeah, I, I mean, that didn't prevent me from spending a solid half hour just seeing if I could take it down. Yeah. In advance. Um, well before I found the first save point or anything, I mean, I really didn't go much to the right direction outside of the like, oh, okay, so it is going to teach me how to play this. Fine. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Let me see if I can take this on with the limited knowledge I've now gained. Yeah, it's it definitely the, the air dash, which also it functions as a ground dash as well and, and a, a period of invulnerability makes a huge 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 difference i mean it's integral to any boss encounter so once you have that the odds are so much more in your favor and then atop that you will have built up damage and and may even have gotten access to some additional equipment depending on when you decide to go back to them but they drop a cool thing i'll say that much right yeah so anyway uh you play anything else laura Steph? No, not really. Uh, Steph, do you want to talk about Sonic Forces? It's not bad. Like, the Sonic fan community fucking loathes it. and and Do they? He, oh, yeah. I, th- I thought this would be the one they'd love. It's got the fucking self-insert persona shit. No, 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 oh. no. They despise it. I asked why on uh, uh, when I streamed it, and it seems to be a combination of people don't like the physics of it, which... It's not that much different, and physics in Sonic games are always bad. Uh, They don't like how short and easy the levels are, but I'll say this, I haven't flown off the side of a fucking level once. I kind of like that they're shorter. Uh, Other than that, like, they're fun. They're fun levels. But yeah, it's a combination of they don't like the level design, they don't like the physics, and they think the story's terrible, which... You know, that is a criticism that is never going to um, put me off because I have not taken a Sonic story seriously ever. It's all meaningless gibberish to me. 
I know there are people who are like super duper invested in the canon of Sonic. I don't give a fuck. So those seem to be the issues. From what I can gather, a lot of it is the story that they've like been offended by. Um, and I don't know where it's going, but it's literally not going to make a difference to my opinion. I'm that uninvested. But as a game, like I was having fun streaming it. I was having fun. It's absolutely fine. Bordering on good. And I know that the people, especially, you know, those mad about the Sonic Frontiers review, will think I'm trolling with that. I'm not. I found it very enjoyable. Uh, and and I don't know what else. I, I ain't got a lot more else to say. Like, I like the levels. I think they're nicely laid out for the most part. I understand that, you know, it's weird to play as non-Sonic for a good portion of the game. But I don't mind that. I, I don't mind the, the weird little flamethrower thing that you can attach to it and the grappling hook that's in place of uh, some of Sonic's, Sonic's abilities. I find even though when they're on screen at once, it can be a little disorienting because you're not sure exactly where you as a player are placed. I do think the fact that they found a way to make it so that you can play Sonic and character TM at once, kind of interesting. Because when character TM does something that's fundamentally similar to Sonic, you'll find it's on a different button and it almost makes no sense. But then when you're playing both of them at once and different buttons are making them do different things, like it can take a moment to like just get your bearings on that. But I think it's quite good. So long as you get over the disorienting aspect of it, uh, sort of visually, I don't know. I, I will never for the life of me quite understand why Sonic Forces is hated that much. And, it, you know, people entitled to their opinion. I'm not exactly going to sort of instigate a hate campaign on Twitter and take anyone's opinions out of context about it. But I will never understand it. I, you know, if they don't, people don't like it, sure. And the criticisms I've heard, like... All valid, it's it's the hatred they have for it that baffles me. But, as I said at the beginning of the show, myself and the Core Sonic fandom are never going to see eye to eye on Sonic games. We are, we are looking for very different things from that series. And that should be okay. Right? It is okay. But, you know, all I can say is, like, I've played it before and never thought it was too bad. I streamed it for three hours Monday, and I had a really good time with it. I had fun. And at the end of the day, that's the main thing. That's the thing you want. You want to have fun and you had fun. Mm -hmm. Plus, I can put a persona mask on, on my cat. But pink cat. Yeah. It's got Joker's mask from Pasongus. Can't complain. Pasongus. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, should we do? Should we do some news? If we must. Before we finish up. Yeah, we can. I mean, news. News has occurred. Damn it! No, I thought thought we'd gotten away with it this week. No, no, it's still here. The news is just lurking around the corners, waiting to happen. Oh God! Current events. Uh, we do have some news about Sonic Frontiers. Uh, are you? I don't know if you're ready for this. Oh, be careful with this. A lot of people are saying it's a mistranslation because I mentioned it in my review 
And because it, it like so many people were whining about it, like I was just like, you know what? It's easy for me to just like edit a, a mention of that. But I just wanted to bring that up because Lord fucking knows you don't need these people like taking what you say out of context. Well, in that case, um, a a a translation of a tweet. There we go. By Sonic Frontiers director M- Mario K- Kishimoto. Uh, I'm going off of the translation that I have in front of me. Uh, referred to the game as a global playtest, and not quite there yet. It sure sounds, at least from this translation, like retroactively he's trying to say this is an early access game. That sure sounds like the spin that's going now. It's like, yeah, you've you've purchased it, and so that we can, as a global community, help get the game where it needs to be. It doesn't evoke confidence in the product. No. That's where I sort of land on it. Again, yeah, I I know that there's some dispute over the accuracy of the translation, but... No one's explained to me what was actually meant by that, I will say. Like, no one yeah. who said it's a mistranslation has actually explained what was actually said. Yeah. Because you fair if the words are not exactly those, fine. But the the overall tone of that quote sure seems to be, well, thank you everyone for playing the game. We're listening to everything you've said, and you're helping us make it. We're we're making it now because because everyone's helping. I mean, ultimately, it's it's more you know so called AAA bullshit. It's it's the live service thing of. Yeah, we released a half-baked product, and we're going to finish it off now that you've bought it. Early triple access. And there's there's a you know a more charitable uh, or at least may- maybe a sounder approach to that that uh, addresses the audience and makes them feel valuable. Which is you know we've heard your concerns, and we're looking at ways we might uh, change the product to make it better. You can say that without saying playtest, right? Yes. And and the thing is, look, I almost have I I can respect a game being open up front about the fact it's early access. Mm-hmm. You you don't want to say a game's a finished game and then make it sound like you're it was always meant to be a, a oh you were buying it so that we could we could learn from your experiences. It's definitely not something people like to hear once the product is already on sale. Uh, yes. Once they've already purchased it and been playing it and then found out it's maybe, depending on translation, a global playtest. Uh, so that's, that's that story. Um, what else do we have? Oh, we, we got an update about Disco Elysium and the, the whole situation around, uh, the, the folks behind that game. Okay, so... Disco Elysium's director, Robert Kurvitz, and art director, Alexander Rostov, have put together an open letter detailing their departure from ZAUM, Zalm, mm-hmm. uh, the studio that, that made the game. The short version is that they are claiming that the new owners took control of the company through fraud. Fucking hell. Uh, while the studio is counter-alleging that uh, the director was let go for mismanagement. So, like, I'll, I'll get into a bit more specific on the allegation against uh, against uh, ZAUM. The, the claim against their new majority shareholder, uh, the Estonian firm, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, Turtrek U, 
uh, allegedly obtained control of the company through fraud. So the claim is that they used money that had been taken from the studio to purchase stock in the studio to take control of the studio. And that people had been fired when starting to ask questions about what this money was that was leaving the studio. Uh, the, the, the quote, We believe the money used by Turtrek U to buy the majority stake was taken illegally from Zalm's studio itself. Money that belonged to the studio and all shareholders, but was used for the benefit of one. Money that should have gone towards making the sequel. So yeah, the, the allegation is that they took money out of the studio to buy control of the studio, and then fired anyone who asked where did that money come from you bought the studio with, or bought control of the studio with. At the same time, there are allegations going the other direction from a uh, Estonian newspaper called Express, uh, that alleges that Kurvitz and um, another mi minority shareholder, Salander Tal, belittled women and co-workers, created a toxic environment, had been intending to steal IP, namely Disco Elysium, with an eye to basically taking the IP and running and working somewhere else. So the allegations both directions boil down to you stole money from the studio to buy the majority stake of the studio and then fired us for asking questions, versus we fired you for belittling women and co-workers and creating a toxic work environment and trying to steal the IP from the studio. Yikes. Yeah, it's a fucking messy conflict on both sides. I, I'll read a quote here because I think it captures it very well. A source speaking to gamesindustry.biz framed the conflict as that of CEO corporate scheming on one side and a toxic quarter on the other. That basically seems to sum it up. Neither are historically difficult to... Believe? Yeah. yeah, both are very believable things. Both of those I'm willing to believe happened. Uh, well, yeah, and I'm, I'm willing to believe both happened at the same time. That's not... <laughs> yeah. It can be both. Yeah. So to, to wind back around to, like, the director's claims at the new shareholders, they claim that they were fired specifically for asking for financial records um, about the, the purchase of them becoming the new shareholders. The company we built has been looted, while our own earnings are insufficient to even cover our legal fees, we believe that these actions, in our view and the view of our lawyers, amount to critical wrongdoing punishable by up to three years imprisonment. So yeah, they're trying to get prison time for the new majority shareholders. It seems like it's going to be a messy fucking legal battle in both directions. So yeah, that's that's gonna play out for a while. That's yeah, that's a lot. That's a real shame. That's a real that's a real messy one. That we got a couple of other like little stories uh, that we can end on. One that's just like a little interesting thing because usually we don't hear hear about or see gaming tech that doesn't get released. There were rumors a while back about Xbox making like a streaming only device for people streaming Game Pass games to their TVs. And then there was a photo a while back that uh, Xbox's Phil Spencer tweeted that people looked and were like, is that a mini Xbox on the shelf? And we got a little bit of insight into what that was. Um, it, it was the, the thing they were trying to make, a streaming-only Game Pass box. It exists, it was manufactured, it functioned well, they couldn't get the price where they wanted it, and it, the thing just never released. Hmm. All right. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of interesting to read about, just from a perspective that we don't usually hear about these things. Very specifically, they wanted to get it down to, uh, like, the $99 range. Yep. 
That that sounds right. Yeah. If it's if it's literally just an HDMI, a box that can connect to Wi-Fi and a Bluetooth to connect to your controller, yeah, it really needs to not be more than ninety nine dollars, really. So yeah, ba- basically they 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 had it, they made it, they just couldn't get it into the price range they wanted, so it it never existed. But it's it's rare we get a little a little glimpse at like, oh yeah, you made you made a thing, even if it never happened. Sony's Sony's doing blockchain NFT bullshit. Hooray! Yay! Sony's published a patent that suggests that they're looking at ways to have a history of in-game assets using the blockchain. Tracking unique... I'll I'll read it. The patent is uh, tracking unique in-game digital assets using tokens on a distributed ledger. And it shows a theoretical system for tracking the changes to in-game assets, including ownership, visual appearance, and metadata. It's fucking NFTs. Yay. Yay. Woo. Just when I thought fucking Square Enix was like the last holdout that wasn't giving up. Nah, nah, there's still still ones going, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get in. We're, we're not, it's not dead yet. We can still do it. Yeah. Like, like, just, Still trying to make it a thing when it's been so discredited. It's crashed and it's been proven as unreliable as a market and and everything, and they're still trying to make it a thing. And once again, I I would love to know how many executives at these companies invested in this shit with the hopes oh. of of duping other people. Because oh, so 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 many of them. I guarantee so many. The grift doesn't work until, unless you can pass it on to the marks, and they yeah. You've just got a number of these companies that are just trying to pass it on to us and tell us we want this shit. And the answer from the market uh, has been a resounding no. Indeed. Uh, last story we got this week. The president of Rockstar Games, uh, Sam Hauser, once turned down a pitch to make a Grand Theft Auto Hollywood movie that would have starred Eminem. Oh. That's that's a thing that uh, that apparently was, was in the works. We're, we're talking a, a whiles back. So many of those words that you said together in that one sentence made absolute sense. Right. Total 100%. I can imagine a period in the mid-2000s or late-2000s when Eminem was, you know, still hot off of 8 Mile a little bit, still looking like he was going to have an acting career, and... Yeah. Yeah. And and his I can I can even see his middling performance in the role of some conflicted criminal. So we we know a little bit about about the some aspects of it. Eminem was going to be an actor. Uh, Tony Scott of Top Gun was going to direct. Also makes sense. Yes. Continue. Yep. The uh, the producer in LA wanted to pay Rockstar a flat five million dollar fee and nothing else, no royalties, just five million. That's how it fell apart. You see, Rockstar, how do you like it? Yeah, uh, the 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 quote uh, in response to it is: um, at that point, they withdrew from any conversation about making a film when they realized the media franchise they had was bigger than any movie was going to be at the time. And they were right. Yeah. Uh, okay, two thousand five is around when this was happening, and yeah, two. Yep, that's that's about yep peak for Eminem and GTA, right? Well, I don't know about peak, but in terms of 
of, of when it would make sense for Eminem and Grand Theft Auto to have attempted to collaborate. The peak moment where the two of them coalesced for a bit. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's it for this week. We done. We did it. Oh. Yeah. Alrighty. Alright. Yeah, good. Good for us. We did it. Laura. Me. What else have you done? What what else have I done? Um, Laura K Buzz, you can find all the things that I've done. Uh the main ones, go check out YouTube, uh youtube.com slash Laura K Buzz. I've posted like a uh, nearly twenty minute long accessibility review for Scarlet and Violet. I have a 25-minute video review for Scarlet and Violet up there. I've got so much Pokemon stuff coming. Um, I've got a shiny hunting guide that'll probably be out by the time this, this episode goes up. Just just go check out Laura K. Buzz on YouTube. Like, that's the, the thing you could do that would... I'd go, thank you, big thumbs up. Conrad, what about you? Oh, you could uh, find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com and audiobooks at conradreads.com. And, uh, yeah, everything I do gets supported online through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. Oh, yeah. Uh, This is very true. Um, Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. That supports this uh, podcast. It supports the Jimquisition show. Um, It supports reviews. Some of you might not like that, Um, but that's what it does. Also, very important. Um, oh, sorry, I, I stream on Twitch uh, TV slash Jim Sterling. This Saturday, tickets are getting limited. It is finally time for the second Spectrum Wrestling show, uh, Kaleidoscope. Uh, it's going to be at 5 p.m. Uh, in Sheffield, uh, where it was last time. Uh, you can get your tickets at tickets.at slash spectrum wrestling conrad made it so that the buy bit is gone no no it's just tickets.spectrumwrestling.com oh that's even better yeah tickets.spectrumwrestling.com right 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 okay tickets.spectrumwrestling.com i'll be there in the back rooms but like if you stick around at the end i'll come out and say hi oh yeah laura will come out and point at you so don't worry about that like we'll all point at you yeah I'll point right in your face. Right. We've got Simon Miller uh, coming in. Um, going to wrestle our resident hippie, Velvet Vaughn. It's going to be amazing. Um, I'm debuting my tag team with Priscilla, Queen of the Ring, as Queens of the Space Age. Uh, We're taking on The Freak Show, uh, the excellent pair of clowns who were definitely among the show stealers last time. Uh, we got Man Like Darice. We've got uh, Mercedes Blaze, Gia Adams. Uh, we've got all manner of... of uh, Spectrum original folks, uh, Gentleman Jim, folks like that. Uh, we've got from PPCW, guys like Axel Strife coming back. We've got, oh, we've got the landed gentry. Oh, God. Sorry. We've got those Tory tossers. How'd they get back in? Craig signed them into an ironclad fucking contract. It wasn't just one booking. Oh, fuck. I will never get though. They eliminated me from an avant garde Royal Rumble match this Saturday and all. I, I'm never getting those fucking Tories out my out of my bloody life. But anyway, they're back. So yes, uh, November nineteenth, Saturday, Sheffield. Uh, Spectrum Wrestling presents Kaleidoscope. Uh, you can get your tickets at tickets.spectrumwrestling.com. Yeah, uh, other wrestling dates. Uh, actually, the following day on November twentieth, I'm in Leicester for Wrestling Resurgence. I 
think I can't announce anything else for the rest of this year. Uh, but on January 14th, uh, I will be in Leeds for True Grit. And on February 5th, uh, it's my big match with Shreddy and uh, WWE legend Scotty Too Hotty uh, for Sovereign Pro Wrestling in Manchester. So those are all my dates. Thank you all. Uh, I think that, that really is everything now. So thank you for listening and supporting and all of that business. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.